Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. And today we have joining us a uh, special guest. Rustin. Rustin. <laughs> Thank you, Rustin. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Trying not to die of sunstroke. Sunstroke? Yeah. Everybody's it's worried a, about a coronavirus problem, and... Uh, here you are worried about sunstroke, you pale son of a bitch. I know. Like, it's only 87, and I'm, like, I'm genuinely worried about what the summer is going to bring for me. Yeah, well, you're out. You're outdoors today? Well, I was for a little bit, you know, when you got kids every now and then you need to get them out, out of the house. Do you, though? I don't know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Just kidding. I'm about to have to start watching my kid uh, every single day of my life. So, for the next four months, starting Monday. So, this is the, the last hurrah. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have time, I'm right. sure. But uh, anyway, uh, we're here today to talk uh, Rustin, our guest's pick, which is The 13th Warrior, directed by John McKiernan from 1999. Just a half-forgotten big blockbuster uh, bomb is what it is, but we'll talk more about that when we get to it. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's really nothing to discuss. Coronavirus is still raging. People are dying. Yeah. So. Our politicians don't seem to care. That's okay, I guess. Uh, I know, it <laughs> seems like most of the most of the people, the peop- yeah. around here just don't seem to care. Like, this is true too. Yeah, like like my girlfriend doesn't have a car, so like occasionally I need to bring her stuff over in Port Allen, and like. The amount of traffic that's on the interstate oh, yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty nuts when you yeah. compare it to, uh, you know, these kind of the ghost towns that they show, keep showing, you know, like airports that are deserted and yeah. highways in other countries that are deserted. Right. What have you. Yeah. But anyways, that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about just pounding brews, checking out <laughs> movies. Okay. <laughs> Light, right, right, JR? Oh yeah, Jared was it's hammered all, last all time I we do. recorded. Yeah, so. he was <laughs> messing up names. He called uh, Peter Boyle Frank Boyle. <laughs> the classic that I'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, check out that episode on our website, filmyac.podient.co. And uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, talk about what we watched. Mm. I've got a shitload of stuff, but I'm going to have to pare it down because, as I understand it, hardly anybody watched anything. Is that right, uh, Kevin? Yeah, that's unfortunate. Shh. What are yeah, you I doing mean, with your time? <laughs> right? God. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> All right, well, well uh, I guess... I mean, I did watch... I watched two things that I didn't didn't bother to log because they're already fives, five out of fives and they've already been logged. Well, so. you still log them. All right. It's a diary. All right. You yeah. hit that little button uh, like previously watched. Yeah, rewatch. Remember, log is a rewatch. Right. I did that with Marathon, man. Five out of five. Rewatch. Five out of five. And now it's in there twice. It's a fi- or five out of five. Actually, one of them was Marathon, man. There you go. Well, you need yeah. to log that shit. Right. Make sure you get the dates right. All right. Well, okay. Rustin being do, our... Do we need uh, to start a... What? <laughs> Sorry. Just going to ask if we need to start a letterbox etiquette podcast. Oh, well, Letterboxd you know, etiquette. For all the people out there that don't know how to do it right. A lot of uh, people. That's a lot of people. I have so many friends who I've turned on to letterbox and they just refuse to be consistent with it. Mm. It's so irritating. It's like they don't care. How can you not care? I mean, this is your life we're talking about, Kevin. Okay? Okay. Anyways, Russin's our guest. We're going to let him start talking about something he watched 
a thousand years ago. Go ahead, Rustin. <laughs> yeah, my list goes back to, uh, let's see. Rustin's a, more the, of a gamer, I guess. So he's. I've been playing, yeah, yeah, video games and probably watching Netflix, Amazon, uh, Hulu, more so than actually watching films. But, Pornhub. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I do have a, a few here. And honestly, most of these, especially all the Carpenter films I've watched recently, I've been mm. watching with John. And mm-hmm, so I know mm-hmm. he's already talked about many of those. So I'm going to try to list at least oh, within the last two months the films that I haven't wa- that I've watched on my own. Um, the first one I'm, I wanted to talk about was uh, The Thing. Or I, I didn't know. I thought it was like a, a remake or something when I went into it. But it's actually a prequel. The Thing, the, 2011. The 2011, yes. Oh, uh, right, right. And it's actually a prequel uh, directed by, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it, M- Mathis von Hennigin <laughs> Jr. I'm not it's sure how to pronounce close. that. But uh, anyways, <laughs> 2011, it uh, <laughs> is very, very similar to Carpenter's The Thing, and with... I don't know, it, it goes into uh, basically the beginning of the thing at the end of the movie, which I think is, spoiler. Well, I, I mean, it's, I would, if you're really into the thing and wanted to see like, some, some extension with lore and stuff, it would be a good thing to check out. Quality-wise, it's, it's about, I would say it's pretty, pretty good. I like to rank it as like uh, a lot of these types of movies, like a uh, very decently made uh, sci-fi channel TV movie kind of thing. Pretty good. Had some good effects. Um, some CG that's been dated pretty well from 2011. And one of the biggest nitpicks I have is at the end there's uh, some really bad CG muzzle fire on a gun with no recoil. I mean, that, that always gets well, me that's when I gross. see that. That is gross. But um, it, uh, it was a pretty interesting uh, watch and uh, it was a Three point two five out of five. An early Joel Edgerton performance in that one. Mm. I actually don't remember the any of the actors. He's <laughs> the uh, he's the second lead. I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, it, like I said, it's been yeah. uh, January since I've seen it. So I <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. Let's see. So ah, <laughs> so I rewatched Nacho Libre for the first time in four years. Yeah, I make no bones about this. I love this movie. I loved it so much. It's so much fun. And I laughed my ass off. And for any of the wrestling fans out there, one of the one of the things about this movie is they keep they protect the business, so to speak. Uh there's no at no point does Jack Black ever just sit down with a promoter and the promoter is like, "Okay, you're going to win this match." So it's a little little uh for those of you who don't know it's a little dig at the wrestler right there. Kevin hates the wrestler. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and I don't care. So it shows the business for what it is. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it try it's it purports to show the business as it is, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's just your average sports movie with an old sports star. <laughs> oh, so you're just so way off the mark. Watch it again. Watch it. I've seen it like 400 times. <laughs> I love it. It's a masterpiece. Well, also, I don't love Darren Aronofsky that's, in the first that's place. That's fair. So. No, that's fair. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll, yeah. Well, that's neither here nor there. You watched Nacho yeah. Libre. Yeah. Nacho Libre was great. Um, funny story about Nacho Libre. 
so they based the movie off of an actual priest in Mexico who worked as a luchador for 20 some odd years to support the orphanage that that he ran but that priest got the idea of being a, a mass luchador supporting an orphanage from movies made in the 20s hmm. so movie real life back to movie again and i thought that was really interesting it's like a like a um almost like a crime film or a sci-fi film now mm. which has been regurgitated from its original form say the novel to movie to video game back to movie to video game back to movie you see what i'm saying like all these right. cuz there's everything so incestuous in the in the in the business you know all the yeah, uh, are yeah. the are the conceptual artists are working for everybody and yeah same ideas <laughs> constantly anyway i uh after i watched the 13th war rewatched the 13th warrior uh, just you know, wanted to get into some more swords and swords and fun, some blood, and uh, watched uh, Thirteen Assassins by Takashi McKay. Takashi McKay, McKay. Jared Jared loves this movie. Uh, I've owned this on Blu-ray for like seven years, probably, and I just never watched it. And uh, you know, just pulled it off my shelf. And I was like, I should probably check this one out, and I'm glad I did. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's pretty insanely violent. Uh, like the last 40 minutes of it are uh, a very extended action sequence in a town where everybody gets murdered with swords, which is a lot of fun. Lots of of, sword murder. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the end of it, like the heroes are just, it looks like they like dived in a swimming pool of blood and came back out. Like they're just drenched in blood. (laughs) Wow. And it's pretty insane. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, it's only my second Mikkei film that I've ever seen. I saw um, Gozu a while ago and did not like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think this is, uh, you know, this is good and it makes me want to watch uh, Blade of the Immortal, which is also on my watch list, which I'll get to at some point. Uh, and then I immediately went on to Criterion Channel and added a bunch of samurai movies to my thing that I thought I was going to watch, but then Sidney Lumet got in the way. So mm. uh, maybe next time. That asshole. I know, right? What a prick. <laughs> anyway, four out of five, JR. All right, I'll start uh, with the latest movie to light the box office on fire. <gasps> a, a dumpster fire. Uh, the, oh, no. the Hunt. Did oh. you guys? Okay. The Hunt, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damon, oh, Damon right. Lindelof. The movie that was canceled last fall and was mm. finally released right right as all the theaters had to close and it right, yeah, yeah. didn't do well even with <laughs> the amount of theaters it had but it's about 12 strangers that wake up in a field and uh there's a big crate in the center of that field and they open the crate and there's a live pig that walks out and a rack of weapons and uh as soon as they start picking up their guns they all start getting picked off by uh unseen shooters and walking into traps and landmines on the field and it's a big shit show and then uh after this shit show one of those hunted reveals herself to be pretty capable and that's uh betty gilpin from glow if you guys have watched mm. netflix glow, oh man which, i totally mm. heard that as perry gilpin who plays his, <laughs> who plays roz on frazier and i was like she's in this movie <laughs> no that she's the, the hero of the film she's like a 60 yeah. year old woman <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I don't know. I like Betty Gilpin, but I, I would have liked that more. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, this thing is like a. It's supposed to be like a super gruesome, like action thriller, satire comedy, and uh, you know that's what it wants to be. It succeeds in being gruesome, and that might be it. Mm. Um, Bummer. Betty Gilpin is like, like I like Betty Gilpin. I've seen the first season of Glow. I enjoyed it. Uh, I liked her in it, and mm. she's this kind of like resourceful blank slate of a character who, you know, I don't want to say is poorly written. Is she's just like not written mm-hmm. just like don't write anything for her. uh in glow she, or in this movie no in this movie okay yeah in glow uh, she has a whole arc no, with uh in, reconciling with her best friend over cheating on her boyfriend uh, anyway yeah and uh you know she like she turns things around on these hunters and uh like before we get to her the first like 20 minutes is like the movie just kind of like dispatching these moderately famous, like recognizable TV actors like Emma Roberts, oh, the prettier hmm. guy from uh, This Is Us, Ike Barinholtz, Sturgill Simpson. These are yeah, these are, Simpson. these are people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. U- U- Ethan Suplee from My yeah. Name Is Earl. Hey. And, oh yeah. wow! It's like they all show up just to get like brutally murdered very quickly, <laughs> and they're all like, they're all assholes. We, they're all. Um, like shit posters on the internet they're super conservative they're like you know like they're the kind of people who talk about how disney is sjw stuff now and not just trying to make money um and you know the point is they're all assholes and then we meet the hunters like glenn howerton and mccon blair make how do you say his name macon 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 blair macon blair Ah, and they're all uh they're all assholes too but they're all rich liberal assholes who call (laughs) each other out for gendering terms and like uh glenn howerton puts on a kimono at one point and he gets yelled at (laughs) cultural appropriation and it's like the you know the whole thing is uh they're assholes too but they're hunting people so uh you know Hmm. it's all hilariously ironic yeah, and uh, it turns out that the message of everyone is an asshole, so everyone is the same. It's just kind of like really obvious, and also too muddled in this movie to take seriously, along with all the super gory violence. Mm. Um, and then also, do you guys notice Hillary Swank's in the trailers for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in the movie, it's treated like a huge reveal that she's in the movie. I heard like, that we only see her silhouette and the back of her head. It's wow. uh, it is bananas, but well, she is an Oscar winner, so mm. yeah. But the, like the, there is a great fight between her and Betty Gilpin. Uh, mm. in which the the fight is awesomely choreographed. It is uh, definitely the highlight of a movie sorely in need of a few good moments. Mm. So, uh, it's a two point two five. Ouch! <laughs> Highly recommend. We're all very bored. Go watch this. Right. Well, thank you. How did you see this? Uh, you did not pay twenty dollars to rent this movie. N- Please you know, tell me. I don't want to. I don't okay, good. Say no, that's not said, enough said. Just as long as you didn't pay twenty dollars to rent this movie. <laughs> uh, I did not pay. I I can't bring myself to pay uh, twenty dollars for any of the new. Like I really want to see Emma, but I'm not going to pay twenty dollars for it. Eh. I want to see Invisible Man, but I'll just wait till it appears online for free somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, up here it's on Hulu, Hulu today. Yeah. Okay. Oh right. I, if I didn't have so other things to watch, I would have watched it today. It's a big deal. Mm. Been waiting. I'm excited. I've actually had it downloaded for a while now. <laughs> I can't get around to watching it. I have to watch it on my computer because it has subtitles, so like it's a separate file, so I can't put it on a jump drive and put it on my on my like TV, you know? Oh, man. So mm. I don't want to watch it on my computer. And now it's on Hulu. I can watch it on my TV, so that's perfect. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, Rustin. All right. Uh, next one I want to bring up is uh, Dr. Sleep. And this is... W- 
this is one I had to rent uh, eventually when it came on Amazon Prime. But uh, and they actually, I found out they had the director's cut to rent. I think uh, two days later after I rented this and watched it, I was like, "Oh, JR watched the director's cut." Yeah, Mm, yeah. and and, uh, how much longer was it, JR? Uh, I think almost a half hour. It's right at three hours long. Oh wow! Mm. Okay, you might have dodged a bullet. Maybe, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Foreshadowing what we're gonna be talking about later with a one movie. Um, but anyways, uh, it was a. I want to say like I was looking forward to seeing this when I first saw the trailers for it, and it's especially since my dad has always been a huge Stephen King fan, read a lot of the books, and when I was really young, well, ones that were a little, you know, not as intense, he would read to me sometimes, and uh, we ended up watching a lot of the sci-fi made-for-TV movie versions of these films, the versions of the films that like from the books, and uh, always loved the original Shining by... Uh, Kubrick and later they made a sci-fi version of it which was more accurate to the book. Stephen Weber. Weber, you <laughs> yeah. know? Okay. Yeah. And it was nowhere near as good even though it was closer to the book my dad was telling me like, you know, but yeah, came out. Yeah. <laughs> what I was interested in was, was this film is supposed to be like a direct sequel to that and then as watching it I was more enthused about it as it was more and more it was it didn't really. I didn't know this, but it was. It's like a direct sequel to the Kubrick film. Like all the elements in there, and even there's one thing that I, sometimes this is. It's it's something that will like take something down for me if like they sometimes when they replace an actor or you know lately the CG has been getting to the point where they do like making them young and everything like that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it just looks awful. But like what they did here is they actually got different actors because they brought back. Uh, Jack Torrance and uh, at a later point in the movie as because in the original he was you know basically becomes part of the house after he dies so um, they uh, had a different actor to play Danny as a boy and the actor to play his mom you know and uh, they looked they did a good job of making them look like and the actors themselves I thought did a great job of basically being at performing like the original actors did in that part I mean, you could tell it, it, it weren't the same people, but still, I thought for what it, what was done, it was pretty good. And, I mean, there's elements in this movie that I feel are even darker than uh, The Shining. Uh, one where they basically they torture and kill a small boy, which I was, like, getting... Yeah. During that whole scene, I was just, like... I wanted to go in there and, like... Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. I wanted to go in there and kill everybody because this is, like, no. this is awful. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but she, if you knew who Jacob Tremblay was, you'd be thrilled with it because he's, I just, don't know. he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to watch a movie just to see his death. <laughs> well, but anyways, uh, I I really enjoyed it, and uh, I think it's a, a four out of five. Nice. Oh, all right. I thought you were totally thought you were going to shit on it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Actually, last I, week I, I I did like a, a thesis uh, paper <laughs> on it. Fifteen minutes made everyone very happy. It was brutal. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mm. Kevin. So I rewatched uh, Clue, the classic murder mystery based on the board game, and it rules five out of five. So, I've never seen that. I would highly, highly recommend it. It's so good. It's like, it's so well done. Mm. Like, um, so after that, my brother and I decided we were going to rewatch Murder by Death, which I wasn't as enthused about. 
Like it's um it's Neil Simon spoofing all of the like classic detective fiction from like the you know thirties and forties. So it has so instead of like um uh what's his um so you've got Mr. Wang instead of Charlie Chan. You've got Dick and Dora instead of Nick and Nora. Mm. Sam Diamond instead of St- instead of Sam Spade. Uh, now Peter Falk does an amazing Humphrey Bogart impersonation, <laughs> uh, but I mean Peter Falk is pretty much great in everything he does. Um, I don't know. It's just like it gets so convoluted in trying to be a parody that it doesn't really succeed in being as entertaining as a lot of the stuff it's trying to spoof, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean, Peter Sellers is still great do- oh, yeah. doing his, like, you know... <laughs> conversation like TV set on honeymoon. Unnecessary. Oh, I lot, love Peter Sellers. That, yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, he's doing like a racist Chinese <clears throat> character. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and they even they even pointed out like one thing I cannot understand. Like this is uh, Truman Capote, the the author. One thing I cannot understand is how one of the most brilliant minds of his day can't learn his pronouns and his prepositions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Truman Capote, who wrote a screenplay that included one of the most famous. Uh, or infamous versions of Chinese face in cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I watched. Uh, fuck. I watched Prince of the City from 1981, directed by Sidney Lumet, because uh, you know had some time and it was on my watch list for a long time, and I've been meaning to see it. Mm. It's really long, so that's why it took me so long to uh, check it out. Sorry, I'm just like on IMDb trying to find out who plays Jack Torrance in Doctor Sleep, and I just cannot find it. Oh, anyway. here. keep talking. He's like a nobody. He's called the the bartender. I know he's Lloyd the bartender. I can't find that on on here. Uh, it's neither here nor there. But Henry Thomas. Henry Tom- Henry Thomas is from a somebody e. from ET. Yeah, he's a kid from ET. Uh, yeah, Elliot. Did not know that. You know, I didn't know that. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was a nobody. He didn't look him up. You were so wrong, buddy. He's in Gangs of New York. He yeah. plays uh, one of the dead rabbits. Yeah. Before the dead rabbits reappear. Right. Anyways, he's the reason the dead I rabbits I's the one tried to help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I's the one tried to I's help you. I's the one tried to help you. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's really good. Okay, so I watched um, Prince of the City, Sidney Lumet movie, uh, starring uh, fucking whatever his name is. God, I suck today. I'm sorry. I can't. Treat I'm Williams. How many beers oh. have you had? I know, right? <laughs> Starring Treat Williams in uh, his one of his first roles, his first lead role. And uh, Jerry Orbach is also in this. And a couple of other, like Bob Balaban's in it. And the guy who plays uh, Principal whatever. Oh, Strickland. S- Strickland, yeah. yeah, yeah. On uh, Back to the Future, right, right. Slacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently Bruce Willis is in it, but I don't remember seeing him. He must be in like, the background somewhere. Mm. And Lance Hendrickson is in it. He's he's all right. Uh, this movie is, uh, you know, <laughs> Lamette is a genius and a great filmmaker, and I make no bones about it. I've seen very few of his films that I dislike at all. But this is a real mess of a movie right here. It's uh, it's way too long. It's two hours and 47 minutes long, and it's, uh, you know, it's a sprawling epic about police corruption in New York City in the late 70s. And um, 
it's well directed. It's well shot. It looks beautiful. Uh, most of the acting is competent, but Treat Williams might be the worst actor I've ever seen in this performance of his. It's embarrassing. I mean, it really is. He's just horribly miscast as this Italian gangster turned cop, uh, you know, trying to, I don't even, he's like trying to do like a De Niro thing. He's awful. He just gets, he gets overly uh, verbose and and just wildly angry at the drop of a hat, just screaming at people, screaming curse words, and then he just turn it off immediately and, like, sink down into a chair and start crying. It's just, it's like, I don't know what they were thinking about with this guy. Apparently, Lumet wanted to cast an unknown. What a mistake. Yeah, cast the unknown. He, uh, he, uh, apparently had offered it to Pacino, and mm. just watching it, you can see Pacino making all the right decisions in this movie, whereas Treat Williams makes every single decision he makes is bad. Mm. And uh, Pacino turned it down because obviously uh, he had already done a police corruption film with Sidney Lumet, Serpico, mm. a vastly superior film. I'll, I'll literally never watch that movie. Serpico? <laughs> I just, yeah, I just I just now decided I'm never going to watch yeah, okay. it. Well, you're going to have to be forced to at some point by this podcast, so get ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge, huge glaring omission for you, Jr. That might be the biggest one, honestly. It, it is one of the biggest ones for yeah, sure. That is, I, I'm astonished that you haven't seen it. Thirteenth Warrior, I considered a big one. <laughs> Serpico is bigger. <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, Ser- <laughs> Serpico is big. <laughs> anyway, uh, this movie is no Serpico, but uh, Lumet still rules, or he ruled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I look forward to watching more of his films. I I almost watched another one. Um, I mean, I watched The Verdict, which I'll talk about, but I almost watched uh, Night Falls on Manhattan, which is a, a little talked about um, courtroom drama that he did in the late 90s. So I'm excited to check that out. I mean, there's like this stuff that I love about Sidney Lumet in this movie, like his whole like the way he stages action, I think I think is really cool. Like it's super realistic and like people are clumsy and falling over each other and stuff. And on this one, uh, Treat Williams has to arrest these two guys and he like he crashes through the the front window of this deli with one of them just trying to like handcuff him it's just like i don't know it's just weird shit like that i really mm. dig I, I love that kind of thing but i don't know it's just tree williams is so bad it's mm. it's hard to get into he's got like this weird beeline b storyline with his brother who's an addict and you only see his brother twice and it's the, the first scene you see him and it's just so like just screaming at each other and you got everything, man. I got nothing. And then he's smacking him around and stuff. It's just like, uh, what? what is this movie? What am I watching here? It's just, ugh. <sighs> Lamette's so much better than this, and Williams just drags him down. Mm. It's a no wonder why, uh, you know, you don't really hear from Treat Williams after this. I mean, he's, you know, not as a star anyways, until the substitute part two that yeah. is straight to video. Or uh, was it The Phantom with Billy Zane? Is he in that? Yeah, he's like the bad guy. Oh, well, yeah, he's, yeah. He is bad. But yeah, so. I remember that movie being bad. <laughs> I don't know why I could not picture the face of Treat Williams and you're sitting there talking about it, but then all of a sudden you mentioned The Substitute, and I'm like, Deep Rising. 
Yeah, uh, Deep Rising. Oh, yeah. Yes, because yes. that's, that's that was his last starring. I think, but I mean, like his big last big starring because he was in that's a that went to the theaters. I saw that movie I'll, in the theaters. I've been wanting to rewatch it because I remember loving the movie because <laughs> sure he was really horrible. oh yeah, but like he was because he all everything he did except for you know saying his lines differently reminded me of uh, Bruce Campbell on Army of Darkness basically. Sure. So I was just like into that whole. He's like, probably on that level acting wise, but Bruce Campbell has charisma. That's the yeah. difference, you know. He's entertaining. West Studi is in Deep Rising, also yeah. uh, Magua from Last. Mm-hmm. Weekends. Yeah. Anyway, this movie is uh, close to trash, but I had to give it the benefit of the doubt. Two and a half because Lumet, his direction is great. And like I say, it looks good. His uh, cinematographer is really good, whose name escapes me, but I'll look it up. Go ahead, uh, Rustin. Okay. Uh, just skipping me? Oh, wait. No, never it mind. JR. Sorry, JR. I forget you're there. I you're know on that a, I'm only a, a computer screen. Exactly. People, but. Exactly. <laughs> You're on a tiny screen, so I don't think of you. Go ahead, JR. Sorry, if, bud. If you skipped me, you wouldn't get to hear about another super violent movie that you'll never watch. I even might. though this this one even though this one's good. Uh I might watch it. I watched uh the latest from Jennifer Kent. She directed The Babadook, which was yeah. like an okay oh, horror movie that yeah. everyone liked. Yeah, yeah. Um and she did something <clears throat> called The Nightingale. Okay, now which, this just real quick. When you log this it was a bummer to me because then I was like, now I have to watch this thing. I really don't want to. It's like two and a half hours long. <laughs> and yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't blown away by the trailers. I feel, like I've, I feel like I've seen it before, this story. But I'll probably end up watching uh, it now, especially since it's on all the streaming stuff for free anyway. So I mean, you you have seen this before because it is like this is half. It's half like rape revenge right. story. Uh, you have likely not seen the other half, which is like. I mean, you've, you've seen movies about, like, the evils of colonialism, but, sure. the, you know. The, in, uh, in Australia, I've seen movies yeah, about yeah. the evils of colonialism. This, this is not, like, a Peter Weir colonialism movie, though, I did not think. Hmm. Uh, takes things takes things much more directly, which which I liked for, for that half of the movie. But, I mean, this is about, like, a young Irish convict in Australia. She's harassed by a local British military captain, and he and his, you know, platoon of goons murder her husband and infant before heading off. To a bigger city, they like have to trek through the Tasmanian wilderness, and this woman hires a local indigenous guide named Billy to track down and follow them so she can get her revenge. And uh, I mean, it definitely is—you definitely feel the two-hour, twenty-minute runtime just because it is so bleak and it is so violent, and all of that violence is portrayed very like realistically and matter of factly in a way that just kind of makes it uncomfortable it it is just it is unflinching and it is gross and it is cruel um yeah and our like the protagonist who's definitely like a victim she's also just staunchly racist and horrible to this guy billy like she doesn't recognize her plight as an oppressed irish woman to be anything like or similar to the plight of this indigenous guide that's interesting you know, he's I like also i yeah i it is a part hmm. that i loved i mean this is not a um she's not a sympathetic woman even after like her infant child is murdered in front of her it's uh it's it is an interesting way to structure a movie hmm. just like not letting me the audience sympathize with anyone um but yeah it's uh I mean, it's it's brutal, but like these difficult characters mixed with, you know, the just some awesome lighting and framing that that I will 
I will gladly watch whatever Jennifer Kent does next because uh, her direction is, is pretty awesome. I gave it a four out of five. It's uh, again not a fun, not a fun watch, but definitely worth <laughs> worthy of your time. Yeah, and you like the Baba Duke, yes? I thought the Baba Duke was pretty good. It is. I haven't it did seen not it. So blow me Maybe. away the way it did many other people, but. Um, it's one of the few of those kind of uh, horror renaissance kind of films that I haven't gotten into. You know, I haven't checked out like when it, like the witch and uh, mm. hereditary and all these kind of, you know, it's got house. very interesting things to, to say about parenthood. And that's what makes it interesting. Mm. Cool. Now, Rustin. Okay. <laughs> and you just said my next uh, film. It's uh, Hereditary. Oh. Which oh. John recommended me watching. As I, I remember hearing about it, and I just well, never We saw have. The Witch together when I for the yes. first time together in the theater, and you loved that, so I oh, assumed I you'd love it. I love that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just another art house horror film and uh, a really great one, in my opinion. Yeah. And now... With the witch, uh, I just love the like lore time period of mm-hmm. you know the uh, Puritans and everything. I think it's fascinating. Uh, with this one, I had to as I was watching, I really had to warm into it. Like I didn't know, like you didn't tell me anything about it, so you just said I'd probably like it if I liked the witch. So going into it, I was lost, honestly. <laughs> for the, and, I, and they do a great job, I think, of just like not really. You, th- you get the idea of that, yeah, there's like some sort of haunting going on here, maybe, or something like that, and some other weird things just happening. And something like, is the grandmother trying to warn them from the dead or something like that? Or, and then, and then, you know, this is a spoiler for those who haven't seen this. Like, in the end, I was just like, I, I kind of saw things coming, and, but at the same time, I didn't see the exact what was going on. I just saw, like, yeah, there's some type of, like, the actual possession's gone wrong, and this the the mother's now possessed. And now the son is the only one left, and then he's dead. What what what's happening? And then like, yeah, it, a lot of crazy violence. Like, uh, and then at the very end, all these just really weird silhouettes of naked people standing around and smiling. I was like, what is happening? And then and then at the very end, I finally get it. It was the entire thing was a ritual to bring out this uh, one of the. Paimon. Yeah, Paimon. I remember the Paimon. Paimon. One of the the demon lords. Oh, I forget how many it was from hell. Right. So he could live on earth or whatever. Fucking and, A. And then the the grandmother, the whole thing was planned out by her. And evidently she's dead, but she's, you know, going to be have her riches in hell or whatever. And, you know. Fuck yeah. I posted my only, really, it was just, I, I just, the way it came out and what happened, just like the whole, like, reveal, I thought was amazing. And... It was a five out of five for me, just because I just, at first I kind of was, had to mull it around a little bit in my head after right after viewing it, but it's like, yeah, it was just well done. I saw none of that coming. Great film. And all I could say was, Grandma was a dirty bitch. Great, she great film. Everybody <laughs> shouldn't have. Uh, you you got to now. You got to watch Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us what you think about that, because mm-hmm. we're we're divided on Midsummer at this podcast. Okay. For JR, it's like the greatest film of all time. It's his Citizen Kane. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of us, we don't think too highly of it. Well, I don't know how. What, is, what do you think about it, Kevin? Two out of five. Two, yeah. We hate it. So. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to watch it. <laughs> what, did, uh, what, what did Jonathan think? I don't think it? he watched it. Oh, okay. He hasn't watched Hereditary. He's scared. Well, he said he doesn't want to watch yeah. any of those. Anything oh, that's... I scared. He's scared. He's a little pussy. Anyway. <laughs> Kevin? Pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, they're scary. <laughs> Midsummer's not scary at all. Right. 
Uh, so I recently just finished reading the book of the Neverending Story, mm. and that was that that was a slog. I'm gonna <laughs> gonna tell you right now, uh, like Lord of the Rings. Not as not as bad. Here's the thing about Lord of the Rings. Like Lord of the Rings is a slog to get through because it's long, mm. but it's not trying to like subtly like tap you with a message the entire okay. time. Like never ending story. I, I enjoyed like the story throughout all three books, Lord of the Rings. Mm. But it just at times the way that uh, Tolkien writes, it's like you know trying to read the you know parts of the uh, old you know the king james version of the bible or something yeah. it's just like <laughs> lots of just it's like begat the you know really you know just really slow and i don't know yeah i mean yeah it's like kind of like reading a history that just happen happens to have dialogue in it. yeah 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 exactly yeah but um yeah like uh yeah the thing with never-ending story is like so so you've got like so i rewatched the uh first movie and the first movie is about half of the book, oh, okay. maybe maybe a little le- a little less than half, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on after he finally decides to live live his dreams and give uh, the childlike empress her new name. Um, but yeah, like like through, so you've got like about. Almost two hundred pages of, you know, he's got to he's got to use his imagination, and then like the then the second half of the book is like, oh no, but you should be responsible with your imagination, and you should be responsible with your wishes because otherwise you'll forget everything, and you'll just end up walking around in a fantasy world with your mind scrambled for Mm -hmm. however long. Like it's a really weird book. Like, anyway, back to the movie. Uh, the movie I think is I think is pretty well done. Like the uh, the puppetry I think works. The like I watched it on Blu-ray and like you know most most of the stuff like you can tell how it's done, but it's not like glaringly bad or anything. Um, I think the guy who plays Atreyu does a really good job. Um, Four out of five. I, it's been a while since I've seen that, but uh, I remember one, the one scene whenever uh, the wish dragon was it was his name Falcor. Uh, Falcor. Yeah. He comes out like the Atreyu guy is basically his horse is dead and he's just like depressed. <laughs> he wants he just he wants to die and he's like trapped. Wasn't he sinking in some mud or something? Yeah, he's and, he's sinking sinking into the swamps of sadness, yeah. which like <laughs> oh let me oh swamps spoiler spoiler sad. alert for anyone who wants to read the book out there. Nobody so does. It's okay. well, I mean, so you know, people of our generation look at that scene with Artax sinking into the swamps of sadness mm-hmm. as this kind of like, you know, kind of gateway into learning about how horrible and depressing the world can be. Mm-hmm. In the book, Artax talks. Oh, and he's like, "No, I, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm ready to die. You go on, master." I'm ready to die. Just, just, you know, I'm just so depressed and sad. I'm, let me sink. Let me die. Sounds like a bummer of a book. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, at least, at least in the movie, you just got the horse staring back at him and he's just sinking. Yeah. While, while. Like an emotional. Yeah. While, uh, 
uh, Noah Hathaway, I think is his name, gives a pretty decent performance of like, you know, you have to, you have to get out. You'll die. I love you. You're my friend. Also, better or worse, more affecting or less affecting than Tom Hanks crying Wilson when Wilson floats away. It's been forever since I've seen. I cry when he cries for Wilson. Now I probably would, it's just, but it's been it's been forever since I've seen that. Um, sorry. Also, another thing, our tax doesn't come back with everybody else in the Neverending Story. Son of a everybody else, everything else gets recreated <laughs> after Bastion does his thing, except for our tax. Our tax just gets forgotten about. Mm. Oh, so Bastion forgot to imagine him into the world again. I guess apparently. But, well, he's got Falcor now. So yeah, yeah well, he's got speaking a of dragon. The one thing I wanted that. What I was one of the note was the one that scene when Falcor does appear. Mm-hmm. There's this part when he's coming down. It's oh, yeah. it's like it's it's basically like stop motion against the, like the backdrop and everything. Yeah, and the yeah. sky is red. Every whenever I first saw that, it gave me chills because I thought it was something like you know heinous or evil. Like, it was like kind of edging in slowly, you know, like yeah. flying it. It really. But then it, you know what the funny thing was in contrast. It was like da, 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 like really happy upbeat music, but it's really just ominous image to me as a kid when I was watching it. I, yeah. I thought it was funny, but it was, you know, I really enjoyed it when I Well, the funny thing it. is you've got the luck dragon swooping down to save him, and you've also got Gamork, the giant wolf, oh, chasing, yeah, yeah. chasing after him. Um, yeah, and that was another thing that was much more satisfying than the book. Like, I'm going to be honest, like, I'm not going to talk about NeverEnding Story 2 or 3 because I remember, I remember as a kid thinking that they were bad. So I don't. I have no plans to rewatch them. But like, this is one of the instances where I can. I think I can legitimately say, the movie is better than the book, because the book gets too convoluted and just. I don't mm, know. That's cool. I. Uh, it's been a long time since I uh, watched the film. Not that long though. I watched it in the last maybe six or seven years, mm. and because uh, I remember liking it when I was a kid too, and I remember when I rewatched it. I guess I was expecting it to be a lot darker than it was, and it wasn't dark enough, and I remember kind of being disappointed with it. But anyway, I uh, I kept the Sydney Lumet train going, you know, which is hard to do after you watch something as disappointing as Prince of the City. But uh, I had the verdicts on Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. I'm trying to watch movies that I own and have not watched. So, you know, just trying to crush through some of that stuff. Watch 13 Assassins, for instance, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched The Verdict from 1982. It's his follow-up to uh, Prince of the City, although he made a movie called um, uh, Death Trap the same year. I don't know when it came out. But anyways, mm. The Verdict stars Paul Newman, and it's written by David Mamet. And uh, boy, what a difference it makes to have a great writer and a great actor in your film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a courtroom drama about a young lady who was uh, giving birth to her child and they gave her the wrong anesthetic and she went to a coma and lost the child and now she's like a vegetable and uh paul newman is her lawyer who uh represents her through her sister and her husband and he's just like a a old drunk who uh is an ambulance chaser he's not he's not won a case in a long time and he's kind of a loser and everybody expects him to settle out of court with the because the the people who own the hospital are the catholic church so everybody expects the catholic church to just pay him money and then you know that's what he'll do because he doesn't want to fight them in court but he uh has a change of heart when he visits the vegetable lady who is uh you know just helpless 
and he feels like this is not right to take a small amount of money when, you know, these doctors are still going to be malpracticing at this hospital, you know, and nobody's going to know the truth. So mm. kind of becomes self-righteous a little bit, but it's good. And uh, he decides he's going to fight and everybody tells him not to. And the, even like his clients come and like yell at him for doing it. And which is, which I thought was weird. Cause it was like, couldn't they just tell him not to do that or fire him or something? <laughs> but right. they don't, they just, they get mad. They, uh, the, the, the husband actually hits Paul Newman in the chest, which is weird. And, um, but it's a good, they're good, they're good scenes. It's well acted. Paul Newman is fantastic. Charlotte Rampling is in this as a, uh, young woman who is, uh, sort of like a, uh, I don't know, the love interest, I guess, to Paul Newman. And she is just unbelievably good looking. I can't, <laughs> I can't even, uh, put into words how beautiful Charlotte Rampling is in 1982 pushed me right into the night porter i I almost finished the night porter i have have a little (laughs) bit left but uh (laughs) speaking of which there's there's a monty python sketch where this police squad shows up to arrest a fake lucino visconti Mm -hmm. and so the detective starts to give a breakdown of all of visconti's movies and and i remember what one of the things like uh such and such as blah blah blah. The curvaceous Charlotte Rampling is a bit of tail and <laughs> a bit of tail. Yeah, a bit of tail. Yeah, she she is that and more. Uh, <laughs> she's beautiful anyway. But um, there's a twist with her character, and it's it's pretty solid. And mm. I don't know, it's just a good movie, very enjoyable. Cool. A little predictable, maybe, but Mamet's screenplay. I mean, you know, just amazing dialogue and just great little like the clever shit that he puts into his screenplays. I just can't get enough of. Mm. Like at, at the beginning, you know, he's like a schlubby loser of a lawyer, mm-hmm. so he doesn't have anybody working for him. So he fakes. He writes a note from his fake secretary and puts it on his office door <laughs> to make it look like she's out for lunch, and that's why he's having to handle everything. Just genius. Just great stuff like that. I love nice. Mamet so much. Um, anyway, yeah. Like the verdict. Highly recommended. Mm. JR? All right. I um, started going through Shirley Clark's uh, collection that's on the Criterion channel right now. Uh, I did not know who Shirley Clark was before I just decided to randomly uh, watch a couple of her movies. Um, and I watched uh, this one called The Connection. And it's uh it's fucking amazing. It's uh it's about this two man film crew that is set up in an apartment full of jazz musicians. Some are like playing in the apartment, some are former musicians who are uh you know, kinda too far gone, but they're uh, they're waiting for their heroin connection to to bring them the goods. And the first half is just like everyone in this apartment, including the like the the director and the camera guy just kind of waiting and getting frustrated the film director starts like like there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall he leaves the camera and starts like coaching these junkies on how to be like more cinematic like yelling at them to do something for the camera they definitely get very sick of him and then this uh this connection who's played by carl lee who went on to have like a long relationship with the director shirley clark um he shows up, he brings the drugs, people get high, the musicians play music, and uh, they convince the director to try heroin, and uh, it's great. Shirley that's Clark the, is the, not the director. No. Okay. So 
so this is like a it is presented there's like text at the beginning saying this is found footage like that has been discovered in the home of like this director uh, not the director the cameraman whose name is uh, JJ uh, it was lost because the director tries heroin and like never finishes it just kind of <laughs> disappears strings out as a junkie uh, wow so it's like, this is fake found footage and also I mean it's like a fake documentary but I'm pretty sure this is older than the term mockumentary and it's not a comedy even you know there's funny stuff happening but not a comedy are the are the um, uh, performers actually doing heroin no are you they're sure they're not <laughs> this is so it's based on a uh, a stage play oh I see and mm. this is uh, almost everyone in it besides the director and camera guy are reprising their roles from the stage play, including okay. a bunch of like Jackie McLean is in this famous oh, yeah. uh, musician who was apparently also did a stint in the uh, stage production. And like all the music is diegetic. It's all mm. played by musicians. Like there's never any like, uh, there's never any score that is not Dogma. coming from mm. those, those musicians. And at the end, like after everyone's like gone high, uh, like people start wandering away and there's no music because there are no, like the people playing music aren't there anymore. It's, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, so fucking cool. This is just a very cool movie. And it's like, a like this is 1961. They're calling heroin shit. It went to like court for censorship because of that. Um, it's like the earliest documented word, use of the word hipster that I can think of, mm. which just lets you know people that use the word hipster now are being assholes. That word is 60 years old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have three days left to go watch. I'm going to watch it channel, today or tomorrow. Don't worry. You definitely should. And mm. so she's got like this whole, it's like a 20 movie collection. Um, I recommend portrait of Jason, which is a, an actual documentary that she did. And, uh, then the Ornette Coleman, documentary on the other another famous jazz musician those are both very good the, i mean the shorts some of the shorts have been good too but they're yeah they're shorts who gives a shit yeah, fuck shorts <laughs> we're trying to juice our list like you <laughs> yeah I, this is a, a solid four and a half um the only like my issue with like some of these stage actors are definitely stage actors and these musicians are very clearly not actors so mm. Performance is not always on point, but just like the way that, uh, like this guy, this director, character director who has tried heroin and like he starts holding one of the cameras and it gets, it goes, it goes crazy. It's great. Nice. Rustonium. Alrighty. Uh, <clears throat> my next watch was uh, Willow or rewatch actually. Mm. Been a while since I've seen this one. I remember this coming on the, uh, I think it was actually the Disney Channel prior to like uh, you know seeing it now on Disney Plus and everything, um, but it's uh, it's essentially like a sh- a short uh, you know combination you know just ground up together mix- bit of Lord of the Rings you know a little Star Wars flavor Indiana Jones humor some effects like that from any you know, stunts. I mean, it's got Val Kilmer, who's essentially Jones himself, or Han Solo, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Willow, the character, main character, who is, uh, 
your Luke Skywalker or Bilbo Baggins or Frodo Baggins, I should say. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Joanne Wally as Sorsha, who's kind of rounds it out to be the love interest mm. enemy at first, uh, but then later love interest of Val Kilmer. She, she's married to Val Kilmer. She is. At, oh, okay. the, at that time. At the time. Oh, okay. I, no. They made several films together. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, just uh entertaining movie. I think I probably did like it more when I was a kid. Like I thought it was amazing. Uh I just noticed it on there and I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in so, so long. It's really easy watch. It's fun. It's I would say it's something you would like if you have some kids, it's really it's something good to watch with kid, your kids like if you want to introduce them to some, you know, just fun adventure fantasy movies. Uh three and a half. Cool. It's another blind spot for me. Mm. Never seen Willow. That's kind of shocking too, actually. But <laughs> well, it's a Ron Howard movie. You hate Ron Howard, so oh yeah, I don't hate Ron Howard, and I do love Val Kilmer. Val yeah. Kilmer is Val great. Val Kilmer is great. All right, well, let's back up for just one second. You don't hate Ron Howard? I don't. When did this happen? I don't think that I can say that I hate him. What movie of his do you think is good? None off the top of my head. <laughs> so you hate him. <laughs> Do you like Apollo 13? Cinderella Man is fine. I've never seen that. Mm. I think Apollo 13 is fine. I like Apollo 13. Yeah. I love Ransom. You hate Ransom, so. I didn't <laughs> oh, like God. Ransom. Ransom is so good. <laughs> I, uh, You know, I've, I've got a, a Ron Howard movie on deck for my pick eventually. Mm. So... You're not, you're not going to tell me which one it is? No. Okay. I'll make you squirm. <laughs> is it, the, uh, is it the, the Thor one about Moby Dick? Kevin? <laughs> no it's not that one uh, uh let's see so i i rewatched uh marathon man and uh like so i had also since uh since the news like i was planning on watching it before the news came out about tom hanks having coronavirus but i've been watching uh the kevin pollock chat show on youtube and I got through an episode with Tom Hanks, and he is very entertaining. Yeah. And and at, at a certain at one point, they're talking about um, uh, they're talking about Conrad Hall, the cinematographer. And I was, and so I was like, oh, Road to Perdition. Yeah, Road to Perdition, American Beauty, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Cool Hand Luke. Like, uh, this guy's done a lot. And he was also the DP on Marathon Man. And Tequila Sunrise, but we don't need to talk about that. The movie looked okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) It's not his fault how bad it is. Oh, he also did uh, Fat City. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Fat City does look good. Yeah. And uh, I started watching um, The Third Man, but I haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dude. Rough rough bit for The Third Man. I, I, I thought it was all right. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was enjoying what I saw. Yeah, there you go. Just, He'll come back with a know. five out of five next week. <laughs> Could be. We'll so see. things to say about Marathon Man or just that uh, you like Kevin Pollock's talk show and... Yeah, uh, yeah, I actually do like uh, Kevin Pollock's uh, chat show a lot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I you know I've talked about it. Like it's a, a masterpiece. Like a what are you gonna time. do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a bajillion times. Like that that scene, like uh, 
Like, seeing it again, that scene with William Devane, like, keep your head down. Yeah. And just, you know, going through all, all of everything, the rundown for Hoffman's character. And then, spoiler alert, comes comes back and you find out <laughs> he's, like, the whole thing was a ruse. He's a bad motherfucker. It was man. so good. And, like, even, like, the beginning part where, like, uh, like the... Uh, the the brother of the Nazi is like getting the diamonds out, and uh, the 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 other old guy is like trying to get his car out. The Jew guy is yeah, like angry like, at him. Yeah, it's like wow, you da, you da. It's like you, you Nazi, Nazi bastard. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then like like yeah, it's great. He's driving a Mercedes too. Yeah, he's driving a Mercedes. Oh, like crazy. you Mercedes driving piece of shit. Yeah. I remember uh, there's this episode of Entourage where um <laughs> where uh. I always forget his fucking name. Martin Landau is in it. Oh, <laughs> and he plays a um he has a recurring character who's like a like an aging producer who's hasn't had a hit in a long time, but he mm-hmm. used to be somebody, you know. Right, right. And uh they want him to they're like they're like, "Let's go. I'll give you a ride. We're, we're going to go to lunch and talk about this movie that we want to make." And they, they they drive up in a Mercedes and Martin Landau says, "You're not going to get me in that Nazi sled." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. That's awesome. I laughed for a long time on that one. Okay. Yeah. I um well, I watched uh, a double feature on Criterion Channel. I want to make sure I get the director's names here. Uh, I watched Sweetgrass, directed by Lucien Castang, Castang Taylor. I don't know how you say his name. And Ilsa Barbash, um, which is a, a documentary about sheep herding. It's from mm. 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from the... Uh... This is from the Leviathan people. Yes, and I I'd, oh. I'd seen Leviathan a long time ago, and I really liked it. I might rewatch it too. It's on there also. They but, also have a, a documentary about a cannibal up on there for I, three well, more days. I'm about to talk about that. In a oh, <laughs> um, sorry. So, sorry. Uh, anyways, I watched Sweetgrass, and um, I liked it a lot. It's uh, way less experiential and uh, abstract than Leviathan. Leviathan Rustin is a documentary about fishermen on the high seas, but mm. they put GoPro cameras all around the boat. And so it's just like a lot of like the GoPro cameras are like so into the action and it's so low quality video that, and it's like nighttime and shit that you can't really understand what you're looking at. <clears throat> it becomes just like shapes and weird imagery and weird sounds and mm. stuff. And it's just, okay. it's very, very cool and a lot of fun to watch. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, I loved it. So I wanted to see all the rest of these, the films by this, Lucian Casting Taylor is the guy who's the common thread through the, through the three of them. But Sweetgrass is a lot less like that. It's more just like a straightforward observational documentary about sheep herders and uh, what they go through uh, bringing their sheep out to, to feed in the Montana wilderness, which apparently uh, they tell you, they say at the end of the film, this doesn't happen anymore. It's like the last sheep that were allowed to do this was in 03 and this was shot in 01 and 02 came out in 09 anyways but yeah so i guess like they don't i guess they just feed them at the farm now or something i don't know they don't let them graze but uh this one's like they it's like old old timey you know like they're riding horses and they bring them out into the mountains and they have them run into the valley and shit and like they camp out overnight with the sheep and Hmm. it's pretty interesting and the the farmers get really frustrated and they curse a lot and uh they call the sheep cocksuckers a lot. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty solid. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, saw that it was on there with Leviathan and Caniba, which is the um, 
their most recent film. Uh, and I just listened to a different podcast where they, a, a guy talked about Caniba and, uh, he made it sound so enticing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had to get into it and it's directed by Lucian casting Taylor and Verena Paravel. Um, and it's about Issei Sagawa, who's a, a Japanese national who lived in Paris for a while in the eighties. And he ended up murdering us. He was a, in a PhD program. He ended up murdering a fellow student and eating her because mm. he's a cannibal. And, uh, it's, uh, a lot like the other two films in that it's not, um, it's not your typical documentary. Like the whole film is extreme close-ups of Issei Sagawa's face and his brother's face. Mm. And then like sometimes the camera will move down their bodies and stuff and like show what their hands are doing and stuff. But you never see, there are no medium shots, no wide shots ever. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's all super tight close-ups. And I'd say about 60% of the time it's out of focus. Mm. So it's it's definitely trying to get across a um, that kind of abstract... Uh, impressionistic you know kind of mm. thing that they that they were maybe getting with with leviathan but uh it's essentially like an extended interview with issei sagawa and his brother and his brother's taking care of him now because i had to read about this after they don't explain it in the movie why he's taking care of him but mm. he had a he had like a, a, a some kind of thing happened with his brain an infarction oh. in his brain and now he's like i don't know like essentially bedridden he can't walk by himself stuff like that mm. but um yeah, it's just like they talk about what he did. His brother asks him like about his thought process, why he you know wanted to kill and eat this woman, and he talks about it pretty candidly, but really sparsely also. And then it, like later on, you find out that his brother has a lot of weird quirks and fetishes and shit too. And uh. there's some uh, there's a really great sequence of um, like eight millimeter film of them as children in like the '60s or '50s or '60s. That you, and you see them playing together, and it's a really interesting juxtaposition of you know who they are now. They're like these really in kind of insane individuals <laughs> who are yeah. like really mentally disturbed, and they've done mm. horrible things. But back then, they were just these cute kids, and they talk about right. how cute they were. Like we we're really cute kids, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I I I actually bumped it up. I gave it a four and a half, but I don't. I was just just thinking about. it. I can't stop thinking about it, so I had to bump it up to a five. I mean, this is just uh, <laughs> just a great great film very uh easily their most challenging film lucian casting taylor's most challenging film for a number of reasons but um if you have the stomach for it because uh well issei sagawa wrote a manga and drew a manga about him murdering this woman and eating her and his brother looks through it in the film and you it's uh it's pretty disturbing Mm. and uh his brother even says he's like it makes me sick and he calls it a piece of shit and he closes it and <laughs> like you know, I can't do it but uh yeah it's pretty fucked up but uh it's a, it's well it's worth your time it's only 90 minutes long you know mm-hmm. you got to Jerry are you into this you going to watch this thing I am yeah and I think that also leaves uh March 31st so oh, I'm really glad days. I glad I got into this then on time yeah I just I had seen uh the three films were on there a while ago and I was just like well you know I didn't even know what Cannibal was until like day before yesterday and I've been wanting to see Sweetgrass but I wasn't like it didn't have, it didn't have a fire lit under me but I don't know after after the guy that I listened to the podcast and he talked about Cannibal I was just like I gotta, guess, I gotta watch both those movies right away 
so yeah um enter at your own risk to Caniba. five out of five mm. jr i'm gonna do it i'll i'll have a review of it next time we record where i shit on it <laughs> <laughs> cool um <laughs> No, I, I hope I hope to. I'm sure you'll like it. Hoping mm. to like it. You like Sweetgrass um, and Leviathan. You gonna like those? I do. Yeah. Same thing. All right, Stuck I uh, doing some more 1979 stuff. Still, I watched uh, the China Syndrome with uh, Jane Fonda, Michael Douglas, and Jack Lemmon. It's you know kind of in that classic uh, you know 70s paranoia thriller mold, and uh, Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas are like this kind of fluff news crew for a local network. They go to film a fluff piece at the local nuclear power plant, you know, which is a place that often films fluff pieces for news outlets. Uh, and while they're in the viewing room of a control room, they witness this kind of, you know, it starts out as some sort of malfunction that becomes like a whole incident or accident, as they start calling it. Uh, it's handled by uh, the control room manager, Jack Lemon, but everyone in that control room looks fucking nervous and of course this news crew gets it all uh on camera they try to get it onto the nightly news but the uh, network executives you know cave to pressure from the power company to hold it back and then it becomes this whole thing with douglas fighting the network to try and get his video back fonda is trying to figure out exactly what happened and she's talking to lemon and other people and Jack Lemon sort of becomes the protagonist as he tries to investigate, like, investigate the problem at the power plant, but also figure out if it is, like, a structural thing. And it turns into this whole bit where, you know, maybe this company cut corners while building this plant, uh, cut corners on the safety measures. And uh, it all leads to this kind of figuratively explosive ending with uh, Jack Lemon in the control room. Uh, with a gun and it's uh, it's fucking cool (laughs) (laughs) Lemon, Fonda and Douglas are all awesome nice Um, and like this this got an Academy Award nomination for uh, for screenwriting the script is like super tight I know like that premise everything I just said like even to me sounds pretty dry but like this thing moves it is entertaining it is you know, this is a nice like seventies. I'm gonna call it a blockbuster. It probably wasn't a blockbuster, but it uh, it's a popcorn movie for sure. It's four to five. Cool. Nice. I have I have had no interest in this movie until now. So I hadn't heard of it until. Oh really? I, hate, I always see the cover, and I can't stand the way Michael Douglas looks on the cover. He's like this <laughs> weird painted picture of him with a beard and everything. I'm just like, ugh, this thing looks like shit. That's. But you know. Shouldn't hold that against it, I guess. Shouldn't. All right, uh, Rustin. All right, next one I'm coming up is the last movie I saw in theaters before uh, you know everything's kind of shut down and hopefully open back up at some point. Uh, uh, I went to go see uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, which I I was one of the people who first saw the. Uh, I was just like, JR watched this as well. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> he loved uh, it. But uh, I saw the very first trailer that came out with the uh, the alternate version of Sonic the Hedgehog, which just, like, what the hell is this, you know? And I was probably among the, you know, many people that just did not like that. Or, petition at I didn't sign any, No, I didn't oh. sign anything or anything like that, but I was like, that looks like 
ass. It just looks weird. It looks, you know, they made it to look too real. And I mean, it's it's an animated character. You know, I don't know they, but them pushing it back, going it back, and actually editing, you know, re-editing the character. You know, and it looked more like the character from the video game. And, that, and going into this movie, I was already kind of, you know. I was already hooked into it because I have lots of nostalgia for the character. Like I played as the very first video game I ever had as a kid purchased and uh, loved it. And Jim Carrey was attitude. It's like, I was like going in, I haven't seen Jim Carrey in a while or anything, but in this movie, I felt like, you know, it, he, it was, you know, all the, the jokes, humor, it was just like the classic, almost, uh, like the original Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura, just the dick, you know, character. Not, not not just the pet dick, but like actually just like obnoxious, but just funny in that way. And just you know, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I could, I would compare it to say, you know, the Detective Pikachu. I mean, which I I thought was pretty good. I enjoyed too. Like, I mean, it. I just went in just not really, you know. I don't take it seriously, but it's just it's fun, you know, just like. CG adventure. I mean, very similar to that movie, just because you know it's got a CG main character. You know, befriends a human character. You know, they got to go on an adventure. You know, they got to try to save that. You know, the CG character has to try to like find a way to get back to what he needs or get like what he's lost. Mm. Very similar, but I mean, it was just enjoyable for me. And I think what adds to it is I have an investment with the character and the franchise already, and so. That you know bumped it up for me, and just walking out of the theater, I was like, "It's one of those movies that you know you feel good." Like I went to go see Transformers way back by myself, and sometimes I do this easily, especially in video games. But in movies, I'll go in certain ones, especially if they're fantasy style or anything like this. I get immersed immediately, and as soon as I walk out, like I'm like, "Wow!" Like I still feel like I have just the elements, you know, like I'm. It's just going through my head a lot. So mm. it was a pretty enjoyable movie. It's an, another one. Kind of like with Willow, like if you have like kids, especially if you, you know, millennial like me, you grew up with this stuff, you want to introduce it to kids or even, you know, nephews or anything, you know, nieces, whatever, you know, it's a good one to, it's a good step to introduce them to and maybe even buy yourself a Sega Genesis Mini, play some of the classic games with them. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it was a, it was, I gave it a four. I just, I thought it was a pretty good and especially since they went back, you know, went the extra mile and just, you know re-edited it to kind of please fans. I thought that was a, it was pretty cool. So cool. All right, Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry, out. JR. <laughs> yeah. I mean, should I go ahead? I'll just, I mean, get, again, cause I watched it. I'll, uh, I'll just say for Sonic the Hedgehog, I agree with most of what you said besides like your score, like everything, mm-hmm. you know, like I definitely understand why this movie was making a bunch of money from kids and families before theater shut down. Um, and it's, you know, it's like silly. The jokes are silly. It's very like, kid friendly stuff. And like Jim, I agree. Jim Carrey's doing sort of that, you know, it, I would call it like general rudeness and making like lots of silly poses and faces, which is like, uh, it does seem sort of like a, a kid friendly version of, let's say like the mask humor. Yeah. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's like I did not care a single second about like the friendship between Sonic and Cyclops. Uh, I did enjoy that he called Cyclops Donut Lord. Um, <laughs> James Marsden. JR, have a little respect. Cyclops. Hasn't played Cyclops in like 10 years. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. And no one liked him as Cyclops. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, like it all boiled down to uh, this is not for me, and that's fine. I do, you know, I played this game as a kid, but I did not play it a lot. I didn't own it or anything. I played it at friends' houses. I did not have like a connection to Sonic, even though I, I think I remember like Sonic cartoons more than the game. Mm. Were Sonic cartoons a thing? Yes, yeah. I, I used to watch those okay. too with Jaleel White as the uh, the voice for Sonic for both of them. Actually, wow, I did didn't not know, know Jaleel that. White was the. He still yeah. does the voice yeah. for the uh, <laughs> something because there was one Some cartoon kind of that was more goofy and maybe. one cartoon that had like a serious storyline. Is he on Kingdom Hearts? And they both he played what Kingdom Hearts? Yeah, no, mm, I don't know. That's I actually a game I have he, not played. I remember <laughs> reading that he had done the voice recently. For anyway. Yeah, so I, you know, this was a a two out of five for me. Even though it was not like, it was not an unpleasant time. Right? It was not, as far as like movies that are like straight for kids go, this is not like an awful version of that. It just definitely did not check the boxes I want. Yeah, I mean, and Kevin is out. Yeah, and all I have left is Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. Rustin, you want to talk about this? Uh. Yeah, let's do it. I actually have uh, I can. Well, I'll go ahead and just real quick, just shout out these three that I was going to mention. Uh, Kevin already talked about it. Marathon Man, very first time I watched it. Uh, John, uh, watched it with John. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like they say, just really good, just f- fantastic. The one thing that wasn't said that I will say is my favorite part of the movie, honestly, was Roy Scheider. Like, I just and if, this is this funny thing, like. All I know, I guess prior to seeing Sorcerer, mm. and uh, I mean, I, I knew about Jaws, but prior to that, like, Roy Scheider, whenever I saw him, it was, uh, you know, hey, it's the Sequest guy. You know, <laughs> that's that's it, because that's what I remember uh, seeing. And then later on, I was like, oh, yeah, the guy from Jaws. And now yeah. I'm like, you know, he's actually in some really good stuff. He's, like, fantastic in all these other movies. So I'm getting introduced to him slowly but surely, you know. Mm. And um, let's see. Uh, also, do I have to fucking rewatch this movie for next week? Like, God yeah, we all need to have rewatched it every couple of <laughs> yeah, months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan needs to watch it just because. Yeah, he'll call in with his review. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was a uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the movie mm. I recently rewatched too, and uh, classic jokes, riffing, still one of my favorite like shows ever. Uh, and I. Pretty sure John talked about that a while back, so uh, that's. I just wanted to say, you know, plug it in, Joe, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, all right, uh, I only have. Uh, let's see. After that, I have. Yeah, I've got Kingdom of Heaven. One more and uh, a pick. So, what Kingdom of Heaven? Yeah, Kingdom of Heaven. We were uh, Rustin bought this movie on Blu-ray. It has the uh, extended cut of the film which is three hours long and uh, it's directed by Ridley Scott it's from 2005 I have not seen the film since the theater mm. and I so obviously I've never seen the director's cut um, and uh, it's really long <laughs> it's very well made I will uh, agree it's really long Ridley Scott is obviously a very slick filmmaker he knows how to make a movie that looks good and everything and uh but the story for this film is uh, really messy mm-hmm. and kind of uninteresting. And the character motivations I had a lot of issues with. I don't understand mm-hmm. why a lot of them did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do. I think it's really miscast. Uh, I think Eva Green is horribly miscast in her role mm-hmm. as the um, uh, 
That doesn't sound right. Sister of well, she's like a good she's like a good person in this. <laughs> oh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't That's... she's like one of the you know, one of the heroes, I guess, or something. I mean, she goes kind of half evil at one point, but that's again, that's another problem because mm. it's like she's all of a sudden she's bad and then she turns good again. I don't know. It's just kind of really weak motivationally speaking. And Orlando Bloom, uh, I think it's been said he's uh not nearly on the level that he needs to be to carry a movie like this. Mm. He's pretty. He's a pretty bad actor, I'd say. Uh, judging this from this performance, um, there's just no nuance to it. He, he he reminds me of Taylor Kitsch in his acting. He's just always <laughs> scowling, bad? always angry, you know, or just brooding. Yeah, brooding <laughs> constantly, constant brooding. Yes, oh. exactly. Uh, and and he just and wa- has all these little wise sayings that he ha- that you. You have no context for where he got this wisdom from. Mm. It just exists in him for some reason. Mm. Um, and then there's just a lot of broad broad strokes like um, every – we were talking about it during the film. In fact, we couldn't stop ourselves. Uh, every every Christian uh, uh, religious figure is painted as like the most evil person on earth. <laughs> so it's like his brother is a priest who's just like horribly evil and greedy Tries and, to like either get him killed or get him sent away so he can inherit right. his land and, and stuff, constantly you know, and reminding stuff. him that his wife is in hell and stuff. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and then there's a priest who who is in Jerusalem who's like telling him who's just giving the worst advice and just like you know <laughs> we should give up Jerusalem to the Muslims and the, uh, the, the okay I'll, I'll yeah, want to say ahead, the, yeah. the best the best joke in the entire movie is the, the priest is sitting there like. The, the the entire like Muslim Alam Salah Hadim is like out there two hundred thousand strong, and you know they're just waiting for them to attack. And, and the the and the, uh, the priest is just staring at it, you know, kind of just with that you know the horrified look on his face. And he goes, "Um, sir." Oh, hang on, hang on. Yeah, we lost John. Yeah. What was that about? Uh, he started to lag a little bit. You there? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Right. Like yeah, my connection got real shitty. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll continue then. Uh, so, look, the new plan is convert to Muslim, repent later. <laughs> you know, he immediately says convert yeah. to Islam and repent later. Muslim, Islam, sorry. Yeah. I, that's what I meant. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. But, um, you know, it's just that kind of, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a Hollywood just, movie, you know, yeah. so it doesn't have a lot of uh, leeway to... I guess, uh, I mean, it's not really fair, though. I guess there are a lot of big Hollywood movies that are good. Mm. This is just, uh, I don't know, it's not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's. Well, I liked it a little better than you did, but, like, I need to rewatch the, uh, the theatrical release because that's the one I remember seeing. And there's a lot of stuff in this that, things that didn't make sense. There's elements like characters that didn't, that just, it feels like it's not necessary at all. Why is that there? It's drawn out, and I don't remember that in the original, so I want to at some point rewatch that and you know rescore that one the only thing that i main thing i liked in this that i don't remember in the original was the extension on the fight scenes and the violence factor was a lot more like even though the movie's rated r it, it uh it's still like i don't know why they would cut out these violence scenes because i mean they weren't like gruesome but they added a lot more just you know awesome sword yeah. fighting and i mean the violence scenes, is yeah. the best thing about it i'd yeah. say i mean the uh the the action sequences are, it looks really good they're fairly things. solid i'd say even even that though i mean like the the final siege on jerusalem is i felt it was like way too long and really really boring honestly and it was just like orlando bloom has this 
He's got like the Superman factor where like he has to be the person who's guiding the entire fucking army against, you know what I mean? So like everything that happens, he's the one ordering it, you know, hey, get the water, b- drop the oil, everything. Yeah, he's, just, he's always running along. The, it's just like it makes no sense like at why one point, he would be there constantly. He has to he has to stand up and like basically like everyone's freaking uh, out. His brutal speech. Yeah, he does this like <laughs> giant speech where like you can be you anyone can be a knight. You Neil, and he goes to one guy, and of course he's like referring to everyone around him. You know, he does the whole thing that uh, his father did before him to make him a knight, like the whole like speech and everything. And, and he ends up slapping the kid in, 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 with his uh, glove or whatever, saying, "There, and that's so you'll remember your pledge." And it's like so, and then we made the joke like, "Hey," uh, so he just goes around slapping everybody in this <laughs> in this brute in this he only uh, city. The one kid. <laughs> oh wow! You know, this is uh, also it's written by William Monahan who. Wrote The Departed the year after this, and I think oh. won the Oscar for that. And uh, huh. I don't know, he's he's hit and miss, I guess, because I'm looking at his filmography. And he wrote Body of Lies after that, which is another stinker oh, from yeah. Ridley Scott, or the score steal from Thirteenth Warrior. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, the uh, score for this movie, um, the name escapes me of the composer, but yeah, Goldsmith. No, Goldsmith for Thirteenth Warrior, but this this oh. film, uh, I forget his name. He's a, he's oh. like, he's like a minor, he's like a B level. Uh, Composer, he he works with Ridley Scott a lot though. Oh, was it Michael uh, Kamen? No, 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 no. Okay, Michael Kamen, I would not consider B level. Harry Gregson Williams. Um, oh. Harry Gregson Williams uh, did the score for this, and he does lift uh, a theme directly from the Thirteenth War. And I was telling Russ, and they were probably using Jerry Goldsmith's score as tent music when they were making this film. So, mm. and uh, Ridley Scott just liked the way it sounded, or something. Yeah. The only difference is there's one note at the end of it that changes, and that's like, you know, it's other than that, it's the exact same song. <laughs> yeah, it's the vanilla ice technicality. Uh-huh, <laughs> ah, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. It's not the same. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, I don't really have anything else to say. I did not like the movie. I I would also would give it a shot to the uh, rewatching the theatrical cut, but not anytime soon because I'm really burnt did- out on seeing Orlando Bloom. Did you guys like it in 2005? I did not. I was disappointed with it. I did when like I saw it. it in the theater. I thought it was going to be because I'm going into it. Everything I'm every all these film, any kind of a film that's about knights is going up against Braveheart for me, and I love Braveheart. I've <laughs> always loved Braveheart, and I uh, and this is this is no Braveheart. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Right. In any I guess way, I gotta I gotta watch this and Troy. Those are two oh, right. Troy, sword and sandals movie I've never seen. Troy, I was, <laughs> I, was uh, I was disappointed in Troy as well, but uh, there uh. were parts of it. I really liked Eric Bana in it. I loved Eric Bana mm. and uh, did not like Brad Pitt or Orlando Bloom in it. Right. So, Orlando Bloom's in Troy also. Yeah. Yeah. He He's plays the younger brother of face? Eric Bana. Yeah. Um, I forget. I don't know what their names are. Paris. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never seen the yeah. movie. I just the Paris, right name. Paris sounds right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Helen of Troy is uh, what's her face? Who's not in movies anymore? Yeah, Diane. No, not Diane. Verona. Diane Verona. De Venora. No, that's not. Venora. No, it's not Diane Venora. <laughs> but she was in uh, Inglorious Bastards. No, you're thinking of somebody else. Melanie Laurent. No, she was too young. Troy. It's the. It's she's like a young. She was in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. What's her name? She played the child. Lily Sobieski. Oh. Yeah, Lily yeah. Sobieski. There we Isn't go. she Helen of Troy in this movie? I don't oh, I'm think wrong. so. It's Diane Kruger. You're yeah. right. I could have sworn it was Lily Sobieski. What am I get? What am I thinking about? <laughs> Didn't she do like a Joan of Arc? Yeah, but she that's did not, do that's a not TV what Joan I'm of Arc. Of. Okay. I'm sorry. This is driving me nuts. Now I have to know. I'm sorry. Okay. So, anyways, uh, 
That's that's it for me. I could have sworn she was Helen of Troy. <laughs> so what what's your last one, Rustin? Let's see. It is uh, Dread. That's the last thing I watched, other than Kingdom of Heaven. John, I also watched John watched Dread that with too. <laughs> I'll have to say Diane, for that is Diane I, Kruger. Yeah, I know it's Diane Kruger. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to see what movie I'm thinking about with Lily Sobieski. Sorry, Rustin, while you're thinking, uh, <laughs> all I have to say is I. It's a rewatch. I still thoroughly enjoy it. It uh, it's still the same score, five out of five. Like it, love it. Um, it, it mainly just because it's 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 so simple. It's just a, a day in the life for this character, Dread, and, and a training mission for someone else. You know, it's mm. just you know, not it's. It's it's like an uh, like you know an episode of uh, well I, what am I thinking of it's like a like if you're watching cops you know different you're just like oh it's this crime commitment let's go over here and do this and then mm-hmm. you know and it's it's really s- simple but I just like uh, like the way it, I I you know like I must <laughs> I just got confused I guess I don't there's nothing that she's in that's like that I mean in the name of the king a, a dungeon siege tale I guess I never saw that though so I don't in the name of the king. Oh, that's yeah, that uh, that Uwe Boll movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason uh, Statham. I could have sworn she was in this. I'm, I feel like an idiot. Anyway, hey, Orlando Bloom up. does play Paris. So, oh, okay, way to go, Jr. And uh, Eric Good guess plays by me. Hector. Yeah. Brendan Gleeson also in uh, Troy and Kingdom of Heaven. So. Right. Brian Cox is Agamemnon. Wasn't that Jason Statham running around doing front flips with a machete in his hand or something? I, I never saw the movie. I just remember seeing trailers. In, in the Siege movie? Yeah, the, the, yeah, the Name of the King thing. Fuck I just remember shit. seeing yeah, the, the, the the trailer, him like doing front flips with a machete or something. All right, <laughs> let's uh, jump right into uh, our pick, Rustin's pick, The 13th Warrior from 1999, directed by John McTiernan. Just and a potentially few years before he went to jail. And potentially... Uh, Tad, a, a little bit of Matt, uh, Michael Crichton, too. Possibly, Possibly. other, yeah, yeah. other yeah. people. Crichton might have directed part of it, uh, according to IMDb. Yeah, um, yeah so, uh, Rustin, why? Why this movie? Why now? Uh, it needed to be rewatched. It is one of my favorite movies. Uh, so far, I haven't see, seen anything, to me, that beats it as far as a Viking movie. It's my favorite, what I think is the most realistic Viking movie, as far as, like, portraying Vikings or, like, Norse people at the time period and, like, you know, say, 900 A.D. or the 10th century, depending on... I, I don't forget what time period it is. I read the book it's based on, but it's been, like, 10 years since I've heard... Uh, John, uh, J.R., John told me you were recently uh, listening... or Was it reading it or listening to The Eaters of the Dead? Yeah, I I listened to all of Eaters of the Dead yesterday. Oh, cool! Um, it's a pretty short audio to... book. Okay, it, you probably because I I don't remember all the details about it. Uh, I just remember that some of the main differences, like from the movie, which I thought work really well for like whenever he basically learns the language. Oh, spending <laughs> over the time traveling with the Vikings, you know, where in the mm. book he actually. Not his 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 uh, assistant, but like he himself, like he, I remember he spoke Greek and he happened to speak Greek with Herger, and mm. for, throughout most of the journey, like that's how he communicated was through Herger, and like I think he yeah. in the book he learned some of the language, but he wasn't fluent in it like he was in the movie. It was mm. you know it, made it, more convenient for the movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it seemed more like he learned some of their words without ever being able to fully communicate mm. with them. 
Yeah. And... Well, I thought it was weird that they took away his ability to speak Greek in the movie. Yeah, that was had actually Omar Sharif for no reason. I'll let you guys uh, say all the good things about this movie before I say not not that I dislike the movie, but as a first time well, watcher, I did have some issues. I can yeah. explain why they did that, or from my perspective, why they would have taken away his ability to speak Greek, and it's because uh, I, it makes sense to me that Omar Sharif is not going to be in the film for very long, and uh, it's a Hollywood movie. And he needs to be able to communicate with all the other characters, so it makes more sense to give him the ability to speak the Norse language, mm. uh, you know, throughout the oh. rest of the film, as opposed to his, his, as opposed to him having to talk to Herger only. No, no, no. And I have it be translated. I, mm. I love the way that he quickly picks up the language. I know, right? Isn't that I amazing? Think, <laughs> I think that ability. Wonderful. I think that ability would have made more sense if he already spoke a few languages like Greek and Latin. He might Arabic. already speak a couple of languages. He just doesn't speak Greek, man. Well, sure. yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, he's he a, tells he's him a to poet. try Greek. He might even speak a little bit of Greek. He tells Omar Sharif try Greek, right? It's his, it's his idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I imagine he's fairly educated. Like he probably does speak other languages. Mm. Maybe Greek's all, not one of them. All I'm saying is they should have made him <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> should have made him Moorish from Spain. So he would have made sense. He speaks Greek, Latin, and Arabic. It would have been really cool. We didn't need Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif quit acting because of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Which that was something I was gonna. That was something I was gonna bring up. Like I've read like Omar Sharif's like, oh, I I should not be doing movies for money anymore. I should do if, do them if I if I enjoy them. Like first of all, you were probably only on set for like four days, and also like. Sorry, not everything you're going to do is Lawrence of Arabia. Like, calm down. He hadn't been in Lawrence well, of Arabia actually, for you, 30 years. Yeah, me, and like Lawrence of Arabia was his first English language film. I mean, yeah. like, maybe he got spoiled yeah, by David Lean. Fuck Lee, you, Omar but... Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> if you had told me that uh, there are there were significant reshoots to this movie the and nothing else, I would have said, oh, did they... Add in the part of Omar Sharif just to like make the exposition more clear or something. It's good. Like he, I would, I would totally believe that he wasn't even there for the initial filming. I agree um, with that, but yeah. I, but it doesn't. I, 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 I don't mind that whole. I like the idea of them entering into this other world and mm. not understanding the other culture and kind of being disgusted by parts of it and scared by parts of it and. Sharif and Herger being like the guide through the situation, you know, and I mean, right. I think it's an interesting way to give exposition as opposed to, you know, like if he's, I mean, it's like if, I don't know, like if, I don't know if they'd done something different and he had spoken the Norse language going into it or they all just spoke the same language and they didn't confront mm-hmm. the language issue. It would have been a lot more, you know, kind of goofy if they're all just talking to him constantly from the beginning. I like the idea mm-hmm. that he's an outsider and, he has to kind of earn his way in by learning their language. Right. And I loved the fact, like, I had kind of forgotten about this. Like, I love the fact that, yeah, at first he's, you know, kind of disgusted with a lot of their customs. But then gradually it becomes less so. Like, they don't spend the entire movie, you know, with um, Banderas being the fish out of water. It's like, no, like, he's here and he's with a different culture. But there is this quest, there's this particular goal that they all have in mind, and they're all together on it. Instead of spending the entire time, like, 
you know, exchange, exchanging cultures. And it's like, yeah, people traveled around quite extensively back then. Like, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that things like this would happen and that, you know, there wouldn't be like constant need to remind like, Hey, that's a Norseman. That's an Arab. I really like the scene. Uh, speaking of the cultural differences, I, I really like, uh, when Omar Sharif, uh, and, and Herger, Herger's explaining the Viking funeral, and they're lifting oh, yeah. the woman, the virgin, who they're going to burn with the guy. Mm. And, and he says, uh, he says, I actually wrote it down. He says, you will not see this again. It is the old way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. A lot of... The, and Very I mean, good lines in this. One, yeah, yeah, one of many just uh, mind-blowingly good lines for mm. me anyway. I, I think the lines are incredible, a lot of them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, uh, Jr. Uh, you you have a bone to pick with this movie or what? I mean, no, no, <laughs> okay. no bones. I mean, again, I had issues like, but give me some more issues that I can defend and just crush. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> so I, I mean, I think the idea of uh, retelling like Beowulf as a realistic sort of like action story is really cool, mm. um, and I liked the telling of it in this movie more than I did. So in the, uh, in the book that it's based on, mm. uh, I had no great love for sort of the, the faux scientific text. Like it's a, you know, we're, we're reading and then analyzing, um, like this Ibn Fadlan's, uh, like travelogue that he wrote. I mean, you know, that he fake wrote because Michael mm. Crichton wrote, Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's presented as like a scientific text and I just I, mm. I found that kind of tiring even though it was occasionally uh, you know dryly funny uh, but my issues with the 13 warrior are mainly that like this uh, I don't know maybe I, I needed it to be like more of an epic like maybe it needed to be 135 minutes for me like it just the story moves so quickly and I don't think the way it's cut like they ever do a good job of um differentiating like our norse characters that were like you know he's with these 12 guys uh it's really hard to learn their names Mm -hmm. and uh it's so hard that in the credits they had to include things like uh the joyous and the leader and the silent and the archer so that you could differentiate them and that like barely even helped because like the one of the guys that makes it all the way to the end, uh, Daniel Southern, is called the Silent, and he definitely talks a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ed Ed though Ed Ed E D G T H O Ed Um He looked really cool. That guy, by the way. Mm. Um, he's the one that hangs out in like the watchtower and like follows the oh, trails. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He has the thin swords and like uh, black with the chainmail pieces yeah. on. That's another thing is I love how they just all have, you know, just random mismatch armor they've gotten over the years, you know, mm. just collected. Nothing's like, nothing's uniform or the same. It's like one guy, like the one guy who looks like kind of like the, uh, the you know, pure depiction of a Viking, the guy with the older looking but huge guy with the uh, ponytail, long mm. kind of almost white hair. Yeah. He has, he has like a, uh, like a Roman gladiatorial helmet with that giant, like, cage that goes in the front you know the massive helmet oh yeah yeah and one guy has almost what looks like you know more like you were talking about spanish you know more armor like you know spanish type armor and then Mm. another guy you know 
Herger has kind of like, it's like a hard leather and like a breastplate, you know, it just all kinds of different things. And they end up just, throwing, they throw him uh, even fall on just the, the lightest. Like here, just put this chain mail on. You'll be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it looks Actually, good. You know? uh, have a logistical issue with the armor, um, which I noticed the last time I watched it, uh, which is that they, they get rid of their armor in the caves they dump they, all their armor off, it, yeah. and then yeah. they have to, armor to again in the next the scene <laughs> when they had the final battle. Yeah. They have armor on again. You're right, so uh, it makes no I, sense. But well, well, unless, I remember Herger's Herger's was slightly different, though. It was a different. Well, I mean, type that's of, fine, but, but it's yeah. like, why would they have a bunch of extra? I mean, I guess the king has like extra armor yeah, lying around. Right. I don't know. It yeah. just seems a little well, goofy, but it, you can still justify that like extra armor with uh, like what goes unsaid, and I really loved this because they are. Vikings, and if you know a little history about Vikings, they raided other villages and cultures, sure. mm-hmm. and like so, it's like a lot of this armor probably came from. They probably those have a raids, bunch of extra armor on the ship, different. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go back out to the maybe, boat and grab some could, extra armor. Yeah, why not? Maybe. And even even okay the king that they're really helping could have stashes of stuff because presumably before they were being attacked by. Oh yeah, um, there's probably a lot of dead people with group. leftover armor. So true. Yeah. Uh, because they said they've been being attacked off and on for is it two years? I can't, Maybe something I don't like that. Know. Yeah, it's a while. Yeah. Um, I uh, I like Diane Venora a lot, and she's hardly in this. And I just <laughs> why she's so good. I just, everything I every time I see her in a movie, I'm just like this woman is such a good actress, and nobody ever talks about her, and you mm. don't see her hardly anymore, and. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting. There was kind of like no, not really any romance subplot in this. A little bit of some some horny looks yeah. between Banderas and that I mean, young that, thing. Yeah, a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of that, but there's no. Yeah, I mean, and Bullvi and Diane Venora give each other looks constantly. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of weird. Yeah, I, I definitely don't understand why any like. I don't understand the character Olga, the blonde that mm-hmm. uh, you know. Antonio Banderas falls asleep with is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but, and also I have a question. Sorry. Do it. Uh, she says something to Antonio Banderas that he brings to Herger and that makes Herger fight uh, the ginger giant. Yes. And I could not figure out what the fuck is going on right there. Honestly, Rustin? I, I rewound it and watched it again. And I still don't know what that okay, was going I'll, on. Let me just say real quick. I'll yeah. say that I only understand it. Uh, what do you call it? Tangentially, I guess. I uh, I don't a hundred percent get why they fight. Like I don't understand the nitty gritty of the why they fight, but I mm. do understand it from us from a perspective of like it's political. We have to show him our muscle, that kind of yeah, thing. Right. That's the way I've always. But I don't that. understand what the thing is that she tells him, or I know I never picked that up yeah. either. I don't have any idea. It, yeah, and that that somehow shames the king's son, who we never see again. Right. Uh, like he walks. It was. I, I am confused about uh, the specifics of that. But there, that, that, that leads to what is, I mean, possibly the greatest scene of the film, the duel between Herger and the redhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Angus. Angus, yeah, right. Yeah. And I love, and, and one, not, bet, yeah. another brilliant line after Angus is killed, uh, mm-hmm. we will miss Angus tonight. We will miss his steel. Or his sword. His sword. Yeah. Well, it, 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 so good. It's Just because like, earlier he's, you know, uh, 
Banderas, it's easier to say Banderas. So I'll, he was uh, just saying, "What are you doing, you fool? You're gonna get killed yeah, by this guy." You know what? What a dummy. But uh, <laughs> then uh, Bolvai says, "As as you say, foolish and expensive. Yeah. We shall miss Angus tonight. We shall miss his sword. Is it another fighter they could have like used?" When he says, you know? uh, "Herger's gonna get killed," and he says, "That is possible. possible. That's on him <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you like." You know, it's yeah. really good. That scene is unbelievably yeah. entertaining. I, but I then when Herger like actually, you know. Like uh, explains it like now they now they have to watch out for what they can't see exactly it's like exactly. yeah it's like like we're not we're not just some random ragtag group here to be taken advantage of and to be used for whatever your random gains are dude who like <laughs> what was what was oh. dude <laughs> yeah dude uh oh what what was the insult that the guy said to the king's sons like. He like, says, we I haven't never. Seen, we haven't, we will, haven't seen your. Blah, except blah, blah. for murdering your brothers. Or, yeah, that's, that's from right. Beowulf, too. I was telling him, mm. I, I, I hadn't rewatched this since I read Beowulf. I taught Beowulf earlier this year to my students. Mm. And um, I didn't realize how much they took from Beowulf. Like, there's na- like names and stuff are all the mm. same. And, uh, you know, that, that, for instance, that is uh, him talking to. Um, there's a character. It's not the king's son in, in the in the poem, but it's it's a it's just another warrior who lives mm. in the area, and he talks shit about Beowulf, and Beowulf says that to him. He uses that as an insult to him. He's like, "Well, at least I didn't kill my own brother," you know. <laughs> like, oh right, yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah. Although like, did, yeah. didn't he at the very beginning possibly kill his brother? Beowulf. Did Beowulf yeah, who, kill his brother? The guy who like gets really mad in, in the first scene where they meet him, and he slices oh. open his chest. Oh oh oh! Well, I didn't Wasn't get that. That, that like was his brother. It was a rival. It was a rival. Oh, you're saying like his brother isn't a Viking? Mm. Not his actual brother. Yeah, I think it was just... Yeah. yeah. I think it was a rival because... Yeah, he he was trying to assassinate him. He had a Well, uh, I think Bolvi was the heir to the the chieftain who had died, or the the king or whatever, and then that guy was just probably going to try to stab him in the back and take the, you know... Yeah, there's a power vacuum and there's people fighting for the uh, throne. Uh, The the slicing open of his chest looked really awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing. Uh, really good blood work there. Yeah. Um, I really dig the scene when uh, Bulvai, uh, leader of the Vikings, he placates the king when the king says, bring me my armor, and he says, we'll need somebody to guard the children if they get past us. Right. Just a genius, clever yeah. way of... Uh, yeah, really diplomatic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I really like that yeah. a lot. I think something similar right. to that happens in Beowulf as well. But Yeah, yeah probably. Are you... So... I found him to be a frustrating character. Bullvi or the king? Bullvi. Like, I, I understood he's supposed to be, like, the Beowulf uh, character, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. is supposed to be the leader, but he is a very uh, silent and stoic leader mm-hmm. uh, who we often see just standing still. Like, the first time we see the um, the cannibals come to, to town, <laughs> like, we only ever see him standing for most of that battle until he like grabs those uh you know those sticks, oh. sticks. and they, they put this under your foot oh and oh, they stab he's the supervising horses man he's supervising yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only see him silently supervise i i just took it as like uh, and i mean he, like doesn't take place in most of the conversations until hold on because this is uh my favorite line in the movie just based on how it's like they track down where 
like you know they these guys live they see the bear skulls they start talking about where the bears live they live in caves and suddenly the tracker comes back in a view and Bullvi's just like is there a cave yeah <laughs> amazing yeah <laughs> the vendo <laughs> yeah super good i mean yeah. uh, i always i just took it as like he's from his from the perspective of him being quiet I always thought as like, well, I mean, you see him talking to his men before before Banderas is able to understand what they're saying, like in that in that first scene when they're like feasting and all that stuff. Like you see him talking to people. I always just took it as like he's the leader because he's so you know he's obviously like gigantic and he's like strong and he's yeah, probably yeah. you know done his time uh, you know fighting and everything and they respect him and that he doesn't have to necessarily like the the other guys that are with him are are so capable. Like, for instance, mm. when you see Herger, for instance, like, Herger obviously can handle himself. He doesn't need uh, Bullvie to tell him, hey, we got to get right. this place ready and everything. Like, they know yeah. what to do. I think that's... Bullvie's a, just their de facto leader. Yeah, right? I very much agree with that. Like, I think that's why he's standing aside most of the time, because, like, he can... Like, he has implicit trust in all of these right. people and knows that they're more than capable of doing what they need to be doing without him micromanaging. That's what I felt like. There's but why? Like, hmm? but, but. Yep. <laughs> JR? But why wouldn't he also be fighting? And I don't... Well, I, I don't he doesn't uh, need to micromanage anybody, so he should Personally, I don't recall him not fighting. Like, I don't remember him seeing him just stand around while there's this a battle real. going on. This is real. I believe you. I just don't remember seeing it. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I half sorry, believe Rusty. you, because I've seen the movie, you know, 12 times. You've seen it once. But I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I was bringing up was like, yeah, what you were describing, John, was the, uh, the way Bullvibe, you know, he just trusts all these men around him and doesn't need to, like, manage them. That's one thing that, like, first time you see it, you kind of, I would always look at this one scene as being confusing as whatever he asks. He walks up on the, when the, on the journey northward. He asks uh, even Falhan, what uh, you draw sounds. And he says, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. and I can speak them back. And he goes, show me. And so he goes and he, Draws, he draws with a stick in the uh, dirt. He's like, you know, there is only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Draws it out and then Bolvai just looks at it for like a s- couple seconds and then just turns away and walks off. And then later when they get to the shore, mm. he, as soon as they get off, like... Speak what I draw. Speak what I draw. <laughs> he he goes and he draws exactly what uh, uh, Falahan put down. And then uh, he says, profit. speak it. Yeah, and he, he, left, he left one little piece out and then yeah, even yeah. put that there. And then Bolvai just nods his head and keeps going. I felt that that was just like Bolvai was just testing to see if – because he doesn't know anything about this guy, a foreigner. He's testing him because he trusts everybody. He needs to be able mm. to trust this guy. Even if he's not proven as a warrior, at least he knows he has integrity. So right. he's not you know, a liar or a cheat necessarily you know yeah just someone you know who's intelligent so fair yeah because yeah. he could be writing anything but, down yeah <laughs> yeah but so that i always felt that that was something that's that was one might of have been those things like like that also is like that part's first of all awesome but it also yeah. is frustrating to me because it seems like it is establishing like you know you know like this kind of innate brilliance that this uh bullvi has and i just mm. it's like another character thing that i don't really feel ever pays off uh, besides, you know, just establishing that he needs to make sure that he can trust him, but I just feel like they're. I mean, pays off in what way though? Like, it. you want to see you want to see him do something clever during a battle or something I mean, like that because he's maybe. smart. <laughs> I mean, he does. He is the one. Know, he is the one who defeats like the, the window. The window, like yeah. essentially single handedly. I mean, he kills the woman. He kills yeah. the leader. 
he's the man, right? Mm. And he's at the end, he's he fighting is. poisoned. Yeah. But I guess that's all just strength. I mean, that's not really him being smart necessarily. Right. And also, like, reading... It's just totally dangling threads for me. Sure. Yeah, well, reading reading about the movie and, like, learning that apparently Michael Crichton was called in to direct some reshoots of some quote-unquote key scenes... Like, I would very much be interested in seeing a the director's cut. McTiernan director's yeah, like cut. Yeah, like Amen. a full McTiernan cut. Well, apparently, I was just reading, actually, just now, I was reading that um, McTiernan had cast a much older woman, an elderly woman, oh, as, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, as the Vindo queen, and uh, right. Crichton changed it into a young woman, yeah. which I don't have a big issue with. I, I kind of understand Crichton's reasoning on it, he said that it makes it makes them less sympathetic to have them murdering an old woman <laughs> but i, I wish i kind of get but i mean yeah but i mean you could still have like a really spry old woman yeah, I, don't like, have, I wouldn't have an issue either way yeah, yeah. but i like the way it is in the well, film once they're yeah, cannibals oh, right, right. i'm not really worried about sympathy when uh, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah it's like our heroes are not cannibals and the bad guys are yeah, yeah. i mean i don't have an issue with it either way but uh, you know i yeah i agree with you i would love to see a i mean you'll never see that but i would love to see a yeah uh, i mean like i don't like like i like yeah i've seen like i was looking on letterbox to see like what like the kind of consensus was on this and it was like a whole lot of 3 out of 5s and it's like it's not a well i don't think it's a well liked film or a well regarded uh, yeah. movie at all i don't know why though like i mean I there's no like I mean, well, I, I can understand I, I could, not thinking it's brilliant. But I think like, one of the reasons why is because, well, from the letterbox perspective, is that people use letterbox in the entirely wrong way. A lot of them uh, right. rate movies that they haven't seen in 15 years. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid, but I hated it then. Two out of five. Oh, right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. And they don't rewatch it. And they don't have the opportunity to rewatch uh, something like The 13th Warrior because it's not readily available. That's true. For, you know, it's not like it's streaming on Netflix or Hulu or something. You have to pay to see this movie or you have to download it illegally. Yeah. You know, or you have or to buy find the DVD. a DVD right. at a thrift shop. There's no Blu-ray. There's no yeah. good copy. Even the, even the DVD we watched doesn't look very good. Mm. You know, it's like, and I was telling him, I was like, I don't even care. I would, I would take a Blu-ray of this same print. It could look like shit. I just want it on Blu-ray because yeah. I, yeah. I need I'll my cases anything. to be the same. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I rented it on Prime and I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah, so I'm sure the streaming is probably much better. But For sure. I, yeah. Prime um, version was good. Yeah. I, uh, and, and by the way, this movie, like the, it looks fucking good. Like yeah, the action yeah. scenes oh, yeah. with all the mist and the fire. Oh, oh it is sure. It's, cool. it's so good. Yeah, Rustin and I were talking about the scene in the forest before they, when they, it when they reached the, the family's home where they've been murdered. And the, the, the shots when they're like with the light coming lighting. through, just high fantasy look to it. But yeah, I just yeah. loved that. Yeah. Yeah, we really enjoyed. I mean, you got that. John McTiernan filming in a ju- in a wooded setting, like just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Come just a good, he's the guy is. Uh, I I've always been a huge McTiernan fan. I mean, the yeah. cinematographer is uh, this guy Peter Menzies Jr. Who I mean, he's not like a slouch exactly, but he's done some shit. He's done uh, like Shooter and The General's Daughter, but oh, he also well. did Dire with a Vengeance and a time. I think a Time to Kill looks good, and he shot that. Okay. Um. I don't know. It's just like it's a good looking movie though. Yeah. Can't get around it. He he shot Hard Rain. Ron Rustin's uh classics, huh? Oh yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> a Hard Rain. A cheese I do enjoy. Yeah. Um uh more lines that I like, you know, just to get my notes out of the way here. Uh during the before before the first uh attack, 
Uh, he says, I'm not a warrior. And Herker says, very soon you will be. Great line. That's yeah. Yoda-esque line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that was another thing. Like, I, lo- I loved... I didn't realize until I watched it again. Like, I love the fact that he's, like, always calling him little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he's in the family. It's, uh, you know, again, it's not like you're an outsider and we're only kind of holding your hand through this. It's like, no, you're one of us. You're part of the family. That's mm-hmm. You don't see that in other movies. This movie is so unique. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, uh, just a classic kind of old school, old Hollywood uh, blockbuster score from Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Triumphant when it needs to be and mm. just all the right notes. Really well done. And like yeah. we said, uh, ripped off in Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, the classic swim sequence now. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, this this classic idea that you see in lots of movies where they have to dive and hold their breath for a certain amount of time in order to... <gasps> escape like this is in the i think they did this in the abyss they did this yeah. in uh alien resurrection there are mm. lots of films with this uh this idea Her, another just a good line but a funny one of the funniest lines yeah the last two people to dive down to, to try to escape from in the caves in, underwater is a uh, hergers with uh even fallen and they said <sighs> about to hold his breath he goes they know that we'll be okay if they don't follow us because it's too far to swim. Ha-ha. He, he kind of like throws out a laugh as he's trying to breathe. And he yeah. Just, like, it's yeah, Herger, the guy who plays Herger is uh, Dennis Storhoy. Mm. He's terrific too. And I, he's not in anything. He's like, I mean, he's like a, I guess he's a Norwegian or a Swedish actor or something. He's, right. he's in a lot of films over there, but yeah, it's just a shame that a movie like this doesn't, you know, propel someone like that into, uh, you know, mm. at least like a supporting actor kind of thing in Hollywood. Cause he's yeah. truly terrific and full of charisma. Yeah. I also have a note here, um, which I was going to ask. I guess more like Jr. because he's the he's seen everything except Serpico. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this the only good Viking movie? Because I was trying to think of it. I don't think there are any good Viking movies except this movie. I really like the, the Vikings. The, yeah, the is Vi- that the, is that good though? I haven't seen it. It's it's a good movie. Kirk Douglas, right? I Kirk Douglas, great. Tony Curtis, okay. Ernest Borgnine. You know, I, like Rustin called this the Thirteenth Warrior, like more of a realistic depiction of the Vikings, and sure. mm, the Vikings is not that, right? But it, yeah. I think it is a very good action movie. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Might yeah. So check that out. Yeah. So I guess if you're going like on the nose, like accurate depictions mm-hmm. of them as a people, then this would probably be it. But like, yeah, I don't know very. I mean, I know that. Uh, I, mean, I haven't seen Pathfinder. What's the shit? The uh, movie that we watched, Valhalla Rising, is not. That's not really a Viking movie, but it's, <laughs> it purports to be. I mean, it's really about Englishmen, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I thought they yeah, were like. I, mean, I thought they were Scotsmen. Yeah, something like or something. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's. Um, have you guys seen uh, Severed Ways? I have. I talked about it on the podcast. That's when right. we watched Valhalla Rising, and I've seen it twice. I have not seen it. I don't. I don't dislike Severed Ways, and I think. Um. The director Stone, I forget his first name, but Stone, I think he with a with more of a budget and stuff, I think he could make something really interesting. Isn't Mel Gibson still supposedly making a Viking movie? That's, I mean, that's in development. Hell, that'll never happen. But no, okay. Robert the, Eggers, the is North, making... yeah, the North oh, Man, the Robert yes, Eggers yes. film. We'll have to wait and see that with one. every that uh, Norse actor who exists in it. Yeah, that yeah. might be <laughs> all the Sars guards. Yeah, or Scars guards rather. Right, right. Um, yeah, so that's. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like there's not a lot of. They don't really. It's not a lot of this being done uh, at all or ever has been. I mean, I guess there's that show Vikings on History Channel, but that yeah. looks like shit. I, I never I, watched, I it. watched it. And like, I like History Channel, but I, I've never I've never watched that show. Yeah. 
Um, but anyways, that was just a uh, that was just another. I, I have a note that says uh, I I remember writing this too. Is at the end when when it's like raining and Banderas is standing in the rain. It, just a really good looking man. Just a, you can see why he won sexiest man alive. The guy's good looking, you know, <laughs> especially in his prime and this thing. Oh, for sure. Just uh, really good. I love the line at the end uh, before the last battle. And he says, I wish we had Bullvi with us. And Herger says, it's a small matter. Yeah. <laughs> just just great. Just yeah. beautiful lines. I yeah. found that the final kill of the um, leader of the window to be anticlimactic. Kind of uh, kind of a wet noodle. You know, yeah, like you're that. expecting there to be some kind of big battle between Bullvi and this guy who looks, you know, like ripped up and shit. And mm. He just kind of like, you know, knocks him off his horse and kills him. And yeah, I could have honestly that it could have used a little more like instead of just stabbing him on the ground, like he actually impaled him off the horse and some more. You know, I mean, I would just like, I would I mean, like to have seen like a like a maybe like a small hand to hand, you know, battle or something them or like something. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I did get chills during the final recitation of their their Viking prayer, which Bandera, Banderas, uh, for some reason, joins in on, even though he's of a different faith. Yeah. They they convenient cut away whenever they say Valha- in the halls of Valhalla, and they cut right. back to him after. Because <laughs> 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 it would make no sense for him to say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I love this movie. It's this movie is great. Phenomenal. Yes. It's in my top 50 of all time. Yeah. So uh, if there's nothing else, I guess... Ratings, four and a half. Four and a half. If uh, I had three. a, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was I, my I, direction. I Sorry, I didn't want to end on on my lower rating. Okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Three point two five. Ouch. Okay. God, that hurts. Yeah. For <laughs> me, it would be if it was a first time watch. Well, it couldn't be a first time watch because. Uh, I may find some, may have even found some nitpicks if I'd seen this for the first time. But right. it's a, uh, it, if I had been a first time watch now, uh, six out of five. But it is, in my mind, for all, all, forever and always, five out of five, like my favorite Viking movie. Cool. Of course. Um, okay, so that's it for today's episode. Um, visit our website at filmyak.podient.co email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. and next time which should be two weeks from now if all, if all goes well will be Kevin's pick okay. Kevin your pick two hour, please two hours of the tiger king <laughs> two hours of the tiger I, everybody's I, talking about this fucking thing yeah, huh? I don't even know what that is my brother uh, texted me he's like you watched the tiger oh. king yet and I was like eh, oh, I got a lot that. of shit to watch before oh, I get right, to that right 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 uh, <laughs> no, and we are. It, it's we, like it's you. It, it's us. We're the only people that haven't watched it, <laughs> right? Apparently, in the world. That's okay. Yeah, I take pride in that. Me too. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. What it's is. a Netflix true crime thing. Yeah. Oh, I have, it's it's weird. Um. Okay. So next week we are going to be returning to the world of westerns. Hey. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yes. George Roy Hill, William Goldman. Paul Newman, yes, Robert Redford. Yes. We are going to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yes, this uh, this does oh, me wow. a favor because this is one of the Blu-rays that I own and have not watched. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about westerns on the podcast. Like, I figure at some point we ought to do like one of the the big know, ones, one of the big ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
this is this is great. All right, I'm yeah. really looking forward to watching that. I, I uh, have almost watched it a number of times recently. I've like had it out and on my stack. Oh, yeah. um, so that's terrific. Yeah. So next time we're going to be watching uh, George Roy Hill's uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And uh, until then, have a good one. Stay in, indoors as much as possible and uh, wash your fucking hands. Yeah. Uh, see you later. Bye-bye.